listening to Treasuring Scripture, a podcast of the weekly teaching ministry of Lebanon Baptist Church, Roswell, Georgia. To learn more about our ministry, please visit us at LebanonBaptist.org. One of the advantages of being a, a pastor and speaking in front of our entire congregation regularly is one of the things I get to do is I get to, at times, ask you to pray for me. Paul would often, at the end of his letters that he would write to the various churches, end with a request that you would pray. And uh, I know for me, as I looked at the prospect of this spring, lots of going, things going on in my life, lots of challenges that I am having to face uh, in reference to just ministry and life and just uh, I am just coming to you uh, do this here and there, and just entreating you, I need your prayers. And uh, I beg you, if you, I need your prayers uh, in many ways more than I need air, okay? And I ask that you would pray for me, pray for the other pastors as we seek to lead the congregation. And uh, I would appreciate it just with uh, numbers of things. So often it's easy to look at the, the uh, the mountain in front of you of what you need to accomplish and think, how am I going to do this? And it's easy for, uh, for us to get discouraged, to try to do it on our own strength. Uh, but I want to be one who exchange strengths with the Lord. Pray that I'll be able to, at times, uh, rest, as he's told us to do, uh, uh, on the Sabbath, and to just be able to find my strength in him. And so uh, I'd appreciate that. And look forward this morning as we have already celebrated the glories of Jesus. I mean, if you know Christ, if you are his follower, in him is all the fullness. And you have been filled in him. Uh, All I have is Christ, and guess what? All you need is Christ. He is more than enough for you. And so let us grab a hold of him and rejoice in him this morning. This morning we come... Uh, in Romans chapter 3 to Paul's, in many ways, closing arguments, Paul's indictment on humanity. Some of you have watched court scenes before, and uh, you have tuned in maybe for the closing arguments. And Paul here in Romans 3 is coming to his uh, closing words and his indictment on humanity. He's been building his case in the book of Romans from Romans chapter 1 verse 18 where he says the wrath of God has been revealed on humanity. He's been building his case up to this point. God's wrath is on humanity. And today what he will do in the text that we have before us is he is going to bring in the big guns. In fact, the big gun. You could say his final witness, and that is none other than God himself. He will bring what God has said in reference to humanity. And because of that, you and I need grace. We need grace this morning to understand the condition that many of us were in and still in some ways are in, and that we would go boldly to the throne of grace, that we may be able to find help in time of need, because we need him. So would you join me as we look at this text? Let me pray and ask God for his divine enablement as we study through this, wor- this word. Let's pray. Father, 
I again ask and echo what has already been prayed this morning in the service, that we need your help. We thank you that you did not withhold your only son for us. And because of that, you have freely given us all things. And today I ask that you would freely give your spirit and that he would enlighten our minds again this morning, that we would be able to see wondrous things out of your law. And Lord, help us to be humbled by it. But in that humility, help us to look to the only place where we can find grace, and that is to you. Guide us to this end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There have been numbers of you who at some time visited a doctor's office when the doctor found some sort of problem in your physical health. I've showed up at the emergency room in great pain because of a problem. I had a kidney stone at some point. And then many of you know this past fall, I had appendicitis. I had a problem and I needed help and I wanted help right then. Maybe it was a broken arm. Maybe it was just some, some particular problem that could be somewhat easily fixed. Some of you have been to the doctor's office and they have revealed to you a problem that you have that they say will eventually kill you. Maybe it's cancer, maybe it's heart disease, maybe it's a, uh, a disease that it's very rare, but they say, you know what, at some point, if you don't get killed in a car accident or murdered, this will probably be the very thing that takes you. Today, I want to bring all of you into the great physician's doctor's office. And he has ordered for you a spiritual MRI on your true spiritual spiritual condition. In fact, your earthly life is not the only thing in the balance. Your eternity is in the balance. Today we are going to learn a very simple truth. I mean, even the phrase, it's like, duh, for some of you, but we need to be reminded of it. And it's this, we are all sinners. We're all sinners. Sin has permeated the very core of our being. And because of that, according to the texts that have been before us since Romans 1.18, God's wrath is on humanity. These words that we will read today are incredibly humble words, humbling words to us, because we learn that we are not Superman. I mean, we wear Superman shirts. We wear Captain America shields on our bodies sometimes, T-shirts to display, oh, I'm, I'm big stuff. I, I, I can conquer this world. But according to our text today, we are sinners and we need divine help. If I was to talk to each of you individually and have you share with me, what is the lowest you have ever gone? What is the worst case scenario that you have ever found yourself in up to this point in your life? Some of you may be able to recall a moment where you felt incredibly susceptible 
incredibly fragile. Well, let me tell you, this text has a way of bringing you to the bottom. Thankfully, it's at the bottom that oftentimes we can find our way home. Normally, if you're lost, one of the first things you need to do is figure out where you're at. You are here. And when you can determine where you're at, you can determine your way home. Today, I want to drop a pin on your spiritual location, okay? And it's not a pretty picture. As I said, Paul has been building up to this. Where have we been in Romans so far? Well, since Romans 1.18, God's wrath is on all the Gentiles. And it's easy for the half the readers or a maybe a slight minority of the readers who were reading Romans for the first time, they were like, oh yeah, those Gentiles, they are sinners. But then Paul says, stop pointing the finger at the Gentiles to the Jews and says, you know what? You're just as bad. He shows how the Jews don't have a pass either. In chapters three, last time we were together, we saw that Jews did have an advantage And their advantage was they were given the oracles of God, but all of us need help. And we are people, so often when the vice starts to go onto our own condition, we start pointing at other people saying, hey, look at them. And God says, stop pointing their finger. And then when we don't have that, you could say recourse, then we start to point the finger at God. Oh, you're the one. You're not faithful. You're not just. And last Sunday, what we saw was this. Stop pointing the finger at God. He is faithful. He does have a plan, and he's going to work out that plan. But you and I are guilty. And that is where Paul starts in our text today. And he teaches us, under this idea of we're all sinners, is this. Number one, none of us are off the hook. None of us are. I can still remember one of uh, my classic moves as a junior high boy. I've told you before that a junior high's brain is made up of two lobes. One lobe is always saying, what's the stupidest thing I can do right now? And the other lobe is saying, do it, do it, do it. And, and for me, that was my life as a seventh and eighth grader. And it was at some point I was in the boys' locker room and a, a spray deodorant can was being thrown around the room. Now, the one thing all junior high boys need is deodorant, okay? But we were deciding to just throw this can all around, and finally, one boy gets hit in the head, blood is spilt, and all of us who at some point threw the deodorant can got in trouble. All of us We're on the hook. We all pointed to the guy who threw it last. Hey, he was the one who did it. However, all of us have a problem. And that's what Paul says here in verse 9. He begins with this. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are all under sin. All of us are there. So Paul gives us two questions right at the beginning. What then? Are we Jews any better off? Yes, the Jews had the advantage of being the ones who had the word of God. 
However, it was not an ultimate advantage. It's almost like, hey, guess what? You're first. Uh, you're going to be the first to walk the plank, okay? You could be really excited about being first, but it's like, oh, great. We're all in trouble. Paul then finalizes what he has been building to. He ends verse 9 with saying this, we are all under sin. And some of you may have caught this, uh, but this is the first time the word sin in the noun form is mentioned in the book of Romans. It will be used often as we continue in this particular book. What does sin mean? Of course, I've always learned sin means to miss the mark. We have all missed the mark. The Apostle John defines it in 1 John 3. He says this, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. And then he defines sin as this, sin is lawlessness, not following and going transgressing the law. A famous uh, theologian, Wayne Grudem, defines sin as this. It's any failure to conform to God's moral law of God in an act, in an attitude, or in nature. And what the text says here is this, that everyone who is a Jew or a Gentile, which everybody, we are all under sin. Whether you had the written law and you knew the commands that were laid out, you could say, in the Mosaic law, or whether you were just a one who was oblivious and had, was ignorant, let's say, of the written law, we've already learned that the law was written in your what? In your heart. All of us are under sin. And it's almost like we're under this huge weight of it. It enslaves us. We'll read later on about sin being enslaving. We'll read about it reigning. We'll read about how it lords over us. 100% of the people in this room are under sin. We've all missed the mark. I sometimes have used the analogy, let's say I put up a target here. And there's a target and I said, hey, uh, on this target, you see the bullseye? Uh, if one of you hits the bullseye, I'll give you a hundred bucks. And let's say that everyone lines up, they all get their darts, let's say, and they all throw. And let's say that you happen to be the one who gets the closest and you are one inch from the bullseye. And so you come up to me and say, hey, Pastor Brian, pay up hundred bucks. I would have to say, have you hit the bullseye? And you would say, no, I'm just in shelf. I was closest. I said, did you miss? And you would say, yes, I missed. And in the same way, guess what? None of you hit the mark. All of you have fallen short of the glory of God. We have missed it not just by our acts, but by our attitudes. Remember Jesus? He he would say, you've heard that you should not do this and this. And he would give certain acts of sin. But then Jesus was the one who not only intensified the commands, but he internalized the commands. All of us are sinners. Now the answer for us, as we'll find as we make our way through the book of Romans, is not to live our lives under sin, but live our lives in a new realm, and that is in Christ. 
And you have to get in Christ if you are going to get under the weight of this sin. But we're not there yet and we'll get there. But now the indictment. So he lays out, none of you are off the hook. But the rest of our text, he basically spells out this. God gives his indictment against us. As I've already reiterated, okay, Paul has been building as a case against humanity. But here he calls his final witness. God, would you please come to the stand? And what he does is he uses God's word to bring out the final judgment. Notice how verse 10 opens up. Look what it says. As it is written. So he says, okay, I'm going to bring God. And whenever you see that little phrase, as it is written, it's about to quote something that God has said. Jesus uses that. Remember when he's tempted in the wilderness and Satan's trying to tempt him to do wrong? He brings God's word, his father's word up. He says, as it is written. But who else knows God's word? Satan does. And so he also says, but as it is written. So they're trying to use authorities, but of course Satan is manipulating the word of God and misapplying the word of God. But here... Paul begins to use a string of Old Testament quotations to hammer the nails in our coffin, okay? To show us that we are dead men in our sin. In fact, verse 10 is the summation of all of them. Look what he says in the rest of verse 10. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. Now, there's been a little bit of debate whether that quote is from Psalm 14, or whether it is a quote from Solomon, or or I believe it's Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes, where it says in Ecclesiastes 7.20, surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. And beginning in this verse, this is the first of a number, a number of times that Paul will say, no one. You are not the exception to the rule. All of us are sinners. It says, none of you are righteous. And that idea of righteousness is this. None of you have conformed to God's standard. All of you are off it. I mean, stupid illustration, but imagine that the the perfect weight of a man was a certain weight. Let's just say 170 pounds. Somebody said, man, that would be great. Let's just say the perfect weight of a, a human man or a male is 170 pounds. Let's say we got everybody up here. And we had a little scale here. We started weighing, and everybody, as they weighed, were a little bit over, a little bit under. Some of you may have been way over. Some of you may a whole lot under. But none of us met the standard. None of us, when the scale came, said 170 pounds. In the same way, God had a standard. In his standard, you could say his law that was laid out there to show the standard, all of us failed. None of us are righteous. None of us have conformed to his standard. In the remaining verses of our text, what he does is he says it generally, none of you are righteous, no, not one. And through the rest of the text, he shows us our unrighteousness with three kind of parts. 
He shows how our character shows our unrighteousness, our words show our unrighteousness, and our actions show our unrighteousness. Let's just break that apart. First of all, our character testifies to our sinfulness. Look what it says in verse 11. No one understands, no one seeks for God. Now, what is Paul doing here, as I've already referred to? He's bringing words up that God had already said in the past. And here he begins to quote from Psalm 14. Listen to what Psalm 14 says. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there is any who understand, who seek after God. And then he says this, they have all turned aside. Together, they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. So Paul is quoting from Psalms, and he's saying it's already clear. Our character, our general character is all unrighteous. In fact, under this idea of our character, he talks about just our understanding, how our understanding, all of our understanding has been darkened. In fact, Paul will say to the Ephesians in Ephesians 4, verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. And the idea here is this. All of you, you don't have the understanding of God that is needed. Why? Because we're all ignorant of him. Now, is it ignorance just because he hasn't revealed himself to us? No, the reason that we are ignorant of it is because we are hard-hearted. We wanted our own sin. And because of that, our understanding, we don't have the right understanding of God in his will. Yes, we see, as Romans has already told us, that there is a God because of his eternal order. We can see that in nature by the things that he has made. But you and I can't understand God without grace. He has to open our eyes to it. I remember when I was, it was either a junior or senior in high school, I, was, uh, I needed to take advanced math. That was kind of the course And if you know me, I love history. And a lot of people who love history hate what? Math. And there were times that it just, it challenged me. Some of you, you are masters at at, at math and you've taken it real far. But all of you probably in this room, your math only goes to a certain level. Let me tell you, the math of understanding God, as it says, all of us are in kindergarten. In fact, all of us, we, can't, we, we cannot understand God unless he says, let there be light. Let there be light. You and I don't understand because of our own sin. Yes, it may, uh, uh, yes, we may think that that knowledge comes through our own, you could say, creativity and our own uh, our own work, it's not, that, it's not the case. In fact, he goes and says this, it's not just because you seek God. Notice what he says in the next phrase. There is no one who seeks for God. None of us naturally do that. 
Yes, it may look like people are seeking God in religion. You may think you did, and you were one of the ones who sought God, and you actually were the one who, who found the right one. But let me say that all religions are Satan's diversions away from God and on our own efforts to pull us away. None of us seek after God unless grace leads us to him. In fact, remember Jesus? I'll bring Jesus to the stand here. Jesus says in John chapter 6, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up at the last day. You may think it was you who was naturally seeking God and one day, uh, maybe you took a reference of the Old Testament, maybe out of understanding and not comparing other scriptures. You may have thought, they that seek me shall find me when they seek me with their whole heart. And it was all you. But let me just say, even that seeking, the only reason you sought is because God implanted that in you. That's grace. And because of your sinful condition, you don't understand. You don't seek after God. Other texts will continue to testify to that fact that not only that, None of us seek after God. We all seek our what? Our own. All we like sheep have gone what? Astray. Notice what he says in verse uh, 12. All have turned aside. Together we have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. We've all gone our own way. We've all departed from the way of God, as I mentioned. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have, we have not followed God. We have gone the direction that we think is right. And that's what he's saying here. And not only that, we have all become worthless. The word here means something that is good for nothing. In fact, they, someone was comparing some of the words that were used in the Septuagint, uh, which is a Greek um, translation of the Hebrew and how that very word worthless was used for spoiled milk. All of us have been, we are totally spoiled. We are, you could say, good for nothing. One person said this, we are a a liability to society because of our moral depravity. None of us, the text says, does good. Now, this doesn't mean that because of common grace, we can't do something good. And even like a squirrel can find an acorn here and there. But you know what? Underneath all of it, all of it is we're all seeking our own. Our entire character has been depraved. We often call this total depravity. We are broken people. Lebanon Baptist Church, this is your biography. This is, I mean, I love reading biographies. I love reading about missionaries and famous people in history. But guess what? Today, I want to let you know that someone has written your biography. And it's God, and he's recorded it in Romans chapter 3. Your character shows your sinfulness. But not only that, he also shows how your mouth testifies to your sinfulness. Look what it says in verse 13. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. 
Now, who is he quoting here? He's once again quoting the psalmist. In Psalm chapter 5, verse 9, listen to what the psalmist says. For there is no truth in their mouths. And it's interesting here. Let me just stop here for a second. Oftentimes, what's happening in Psalms is the psalmist is is talking about the wicked. And he says, the wicked are all like this. But the way Paul uses these quotes is he shows, guess what? All of you Jews and Gentiles, you are the wicked. You are these people. And so, As the psalmist writes, there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. And then it says in Psalm chapter 140, verse 3, they make their tongue sharp as a serpent's, and under their lips is the venom of asp. Now, we've all had to smell at some point, no doubt, a dead uh, animal that uh, was killed on the road and maybe or we're, we're hiking somewhere and we come upon the stench of a dead animal. Some of you have had the unfortunate experience maybe to even smell a human body decaying. The Bible, when it describes your throat, it says that our mouths are as disgusting and as decaying as that particular object. I mean, talk about bad breath, okay? We all, the Bible says, our throats are like an open grave. James talks about how deadly the tongue can be. It can light a fire, how it's just a small little instrument in our bodies, but how it can be incredibly destructive, In fact, he ends his little expose on the tongue by saying this, no man can what? Tame the tongue. None of us can. Our tongues are broken. And if you're honest with yourself, which most of us aren't, we are deceivers and we so often can deceive ourselves. We know what we, we we know where we struggle in reference to this. And if you really begin to think about your own tongue and how you've used it even this past year, you'll see how often you use your tongue to make yourself look good and obscure reality. And he says this, your tongue is an open grave. Finally, he he takes it a a step further. You, You deceive with it. He compares it as well to lips of a venomous Poison, I mean, a venomous snake and how it can hurt, it can kill. It's interesting, he, the progression here. He starts with your throat and then he moves to your tongue and then he moves to your what? Your lips. He's kind of making its way out. He says, you know what, your whole mouth, we use it in the wrong way. It has been in many ways cursed Paul sums it up in verse 14. Look what he says in verse 14. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. And this is a quote from Psalm 10, verse 7. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. His tongue 
his tongue are mischief and iniquity. Once again, the psalmist is saying, look at the wicked. The wicked, this is what their tongue's like. And Paul says, guess what? All of your, all of us, that's what your tongue is like. This is us. Many of you are self-aware of what can bring out cursing out of your mouth. Okay? Don't be so proud to think, and all of you, if you're really honest, there's been times you've let it out. Some of you may not have let it out, but you set it on the inside. You have cursed, you have given the bitterness, and it's all there, and you know what can set you off toward it. The Bible says that all humanity has been cursed with his mouth. Okay. Our children, we don't need to teach our kids how to use their tongue the wrong way. Okay. It's not like, and I think we've used this analogy, we don't have to teach our kids how to lie and we don't need to teach our kids how to curse and use their mouth in the wrong way. We don't have to have a little class. Hey, let me show you how to use it destructively. Okay. All of us know how to use it destructively. It's natural. That's who we are. And Paul says, your character shows your sinfulness. Your words show your sinfulness. And he ends the text by showing how our actions testify to our sinfulness. And that's 15 through 17. It says this, their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. And here what Paul does is he brings out another big gun of God's word. He brings out Isaiah. And Isaiah, of course, is a prophet who gives the word of God. Listen to what Isaiah says in Isaiah 59. He says, their feet, talking about the evil, their feet run to evil and they are swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Desolation and destruction are in their highways. The way of peace they do not know and there is no justice in their past. They have made their roads crooked. No one who treads on them knows peace. So he begins first by telling us how our, our feet are swift to hurt and murder. We know this murder and hatred. You know what today is? Today is the commemoration of what some people would say is Rover, I mean, Roe versus Wade. It's the day we remember that and how quickly we may think, oh, I don't murder. I don't do all this. But let me say how quickly we are to shed innocent blood. All on the sacrifice of human autonomy. I'm so thankful for what has happened even this past year. But you know what? Well, yes, there's things and government is supposed to hold back corruption they're supposed to bear the sword but what we have witnessed over the last 49 to 50 years was in many ways the reason this text is laid out we are people who are swift to shed blood and those of you who say i've never killed I don't shed blood. I don't murder. Remember what Jesus said? 
You have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. It's not just the act, it's the attitude. And it's not just the attitude, it's our nature. That's who we are. We're swift to shed blood. Our path, the text says, are ruin and misery. Now what this is not saying is that the wicked, subjectively, they just feel ruin and misery because they're doing the wrong things. That's not what it's saying here. What it's saying is this. All of us, because of our sinful condition, the path that we lead, you know what it often, I mean, it leads to ruin and misery. It is our lives that are uh, in our wake as you and I just live our lives, if we just lived it our own way, what we would leave in our wake is ruin, misery, and chaos. We are the ultimate bulls in a china shop, all of you. All of you have been in the place where you've walked into a situation, you've just bulldozed people and messed things up. I mean, it happened to me in the last few weeks. I walk in at home and not aware of the situation, not, I mean, probably not having walked in the spirit, walk walk home and not knowing everything that goes on and say something and not understand the situation. I'm like the bull in the china shop coming into the kitchen and thinking I am the, know all the things that need to happen. And you know what? I just see my sinfulness come out. I'm thankful for spouses who can point that out at times. Hey, did you see what you did there? You know what? All of us in our brokenness, we are people that in our path, misery and hurt happen And finally, it says we bring no peace. That's who you naturally are. If those of you who have never met Jesus Christ, um, if you never meet him, that's going to be your life. And even those of you who have met him, we have a very big tendency to live in our sin. And of course, I'm thankful that he has rescued us from sin and he's teaching us how to overcome sin and not let sin reign in our mortal body. But that's our sinful state. Our character, our words, our actions all testify testify to our sinful state. And that final verse gives us cause for all of this. Look what it says in verse 18. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And the reason you and I live this way is we have not learned how to fear God. We don't fear God. In fact, I've used the definition, what does it mean to fear God? Fear God means worshipful submission. We recognize him as God, we worship him as God, and we submit our lives to him. And the Bible says this, there is no fear of God in their eyes. And what has happening here is, in many ways, this is almost like a chiasm. At the beginning of Paul's indictment, in Romans 1 verse 21, he talks about how you and I left the glories of God for his created things. We left what was supposed to be the worship of God and served and worshiped the created ones instead of the creator. And he sums it all up and says this, this is who you are, this is your broken state. 
We left the glory of God for ourselves, and it's all a reminder of Eden. Okay, Adam and Eve created to live in harmony with God, created to live on earth uh, in many ways forever. What did Adam and Eve do? They left the glories of God and the fear of God, and they rebelled and wanted their own way. And instead of having the right type of fear, worshipful submission, when they sinned, it led to the wrong type of fear, dread in covering their own nakedness and their own sin. And that's what we do today. We think we're all good. We try to cover our own sin, just like Adam and Eve did with uh, the various fig leaves. But let me tell you, You can do whatever you can to cover your own nakedness of sin, but let me tell you, it's not going to work. The thing that all of us need is we need grace, and that's exactly what happened in the garden. The moment Adam and Eve sinned and they went and hid themselves, I love what it says. As they are hiding themselves in their sin, it says, and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the what? Garden. That's grace. He comes to them. And you know what? That's what's happening here in Romans. In Romans chapters 1, 2, and 3, he lets us see that you and I are just like Adam and Eve. We are sinful. We are hiding. He exposes our nakedness for what it is. And in just a moment, in the end of chapter 3, he's going to say, but guess who's come on the scene? Jesus. And he's out to rescue you. And guess what? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. And who is wisdom? The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. He's the one where it all is at. This is you. This is your biography. This morning we've learned a simple truth. We are all sinners. This leads us to the same place as Adam and Eve. But Jesus has come on the scene. So the question is this. We'll we'll end with this. So what? Pastor Brian, what does this mean for me? I mean, here we are. What is it? January the 22nd? Yeah, January 22nd, 2023. I got it right this time. Okay. What does this mean for me? What can we learn from this text? I want you to realize that this is your condition all of us initially. And all of us, you could say, uh, this, is, this is where we, we're at. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ yet, you are under sin and you have to become somebody who is in Christ. And that condition that you are in right now, if you have never become a follower of Jesus, will ultimately lead to your death And not just death, eternal death in a place, a literal place called hell. And we will get there. In the text, he will explain that. The wages of sin is death. So what do you need to do? You need to repent of those sins and turn to the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. But those of you who are in Christ, which I believe is a majority of you today, you've come here, you know that's you. And, if you're, and those of you who can remember being converted, you can remember you just continuing to give into those things. That was part of your past, but it's also part of your present, isn't it? 
Doesn't that sinful flesh sometimes rear its ugly head? What that means is this. For you and I, we who initially repented of our sins and believed in Jesus Christ, we are called to be people that who started repenting and believing, we are to continue to repent and believe. And to continue, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, you are to walk in him. And what I found in my own spiritual life is this. What happens in my life, at least initially, is God brought the magnifying glass on my own sin. And he wanted me to repent, and I repent and turn to Jesus. But the more I mature in my spiritual life, you could say is this. He brings in a higher-powered magnifying glass. Oh, see how you're doing right now? And what do I need to do then? I need to go back to repenting and believing and embracing Christ. And then, there's the next one. I got to keep repenting and believing in Christ. That's what believers do. If you truly had done it initially, you're going to continue to do it. And that's what he's going to talk about, living in the spirit and submitting. And there are going to be days that you're going to come into church and you've, going to have, you've fallen on your face that week in sin. But what do you got to keep doing? Repenting and believing. And you keep growing and you learn to, that was me, but I'm in Christ now. I want to progress out of my sins. And none of us are going to get to sinless perfection this side of heaven. But one day, you know what? You have been given righteousness through Christ. And one day he will resurrect you and give you eternity with him. But this is the Christian life. But here is your indictment. So understand, this is who you are. This is where you were And rejoice that, you know what, we know the rest of the story, don't we? We know Christ. And the answer is life in Christ, glory in him. Thank you for listening to Treasuring Scripture. It's our desire that every Christian treasure God's word in their heart. To follow our podcast, please hit the subscribe button. If you're interested in learning more about our church, please visit LebanonBaptist.org.